Thanks for being here. Where the, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is peace. Where the spirit of God is, there is peace. Um, let's, let's take a, another minute and pray that the God of peace would just kind of invade our souls, our spirits. Give us a sense of calm, a sense of presence here. We need the presence of God in, in this place. And I, and I know he's here. And I just want to take a moment and just move us that much closer as a, as a family, as the children of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, the truth that we get to gather in the name of Jesus, that you would make your church uh, your gathering. Um, Father, we, we are thankful that you have included us in your family, and we are so grateful that we get to gather and worship you today. Father, do something uh, that only you can do in us. Give us a spirit of wisdom. Help us to have a, a true eye-opening experience today as we step closer to you and try to walk more faithfully with you every single moment. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. This is week four of um, the end. Question mark, the end? Um, uh, this is your apocalypse. And just a quick recap is week one, we, we just kind of discovered and looked at the truth that the word apocalypse doesn't mean the end. It actually means revelation. It actually means uh, something is revealed, something has been shown, something that was hidden has been uncovered. And so the idea of apocalypse is much bigger than just the end. And the last book in the scriptures is called the Revelation, which is a revelation about what God is up to, not just the end. Because in week two, we unpacked how some people view that piece of scripture like a code that's going to tell us a couple of things that are going to take place so we know when the end is coming. When in fact, the book is more likely telling us what's happening in the present world and how the world that we live in and the world that has been lived in since the time of Christ has all been under this umbrella of the end. That every generation is watching cycles of brokenness and evil rise and fall and move through. And if you look at your world through the lens of revelation, you see it. You see great evil powers. You see God on a throne. You see the church being what the church is supposed to be or not being what the church is supposed to be. And so... Um, that was week two, and then last week I talked specifically about the mark of the beast, and uh, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that today as I close out this, uh, this series, which again is just the tip of the iceberg of a huge conversation around apocalyptic literature, what it means to, to be living in these times, what is the end, when does the end come, and so I want to encourage you, you know, if you're interested to first and foremost read the book of Revelation. Read the whole thing. And read it through the lens that I shared with you. Read it through the lens not of, hmm, when I see these things, then I'll know. Not literal or in, in a metaphoric sense of some version of that is going to happen. Read it in a sense that it's a word picture that is being used to show you what is happening. What is actually happening both on earth and in the spiritual realms. And you'll see that everything that's written in it, you go, okay, that's happening. Okay, that's happening. That happened. Oh, yeah, that happened 400 years ago. Oh, yeah, that happened 1,000 years ago. Oh, that's happened ever since Jesus was here. That just keeps on happening over and over and over again. And then the scriptures tell us that one day Christ will return like a thief in the night. 
So there's not going to be necessarily a thing that you know. It's going to be you're working in a field and then boom, it's over. The, the king has come home. Now there might be some other kind of uh, events that lead up to it that bring forth, but not events that necessarily you will know those are them because they probably will look like a lot of events that have taken place throughout the last 2,000 years. There have been people that have thought, well, here it is. This has to be it. World War II, this is it. Here it is. Hitler's name equals 666. You can do a numbers game and make his equal 666. All of them. People have looked at all of those different types of leaders and said, this is certainly it. So, there's always bad things happening. That always has something to do with brokenness. And at some point, in the midst of that bad stuff happening, Jesus will return. That's the picture. My heart for you in this series, and specifically today, is that you're going to have a vision. I mean, like, I know that sounds crazy. But, like, I want you to see something. I want you to see something. I want you to start to see our world Differently, I want us to have a grace and a vision and a lens that is clarifying, that is helpful, that gives us strength. I feel like if we could all walk out of here today with an extra measure of strength, that would be a great thing. When we talk about the word apocalypse, a vision, a revelation, I've mentioned this, um, and uh, I want to re-mention it, and that is that Paul who was the author of the majority, well, 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament, the book that we kind of all look to about what our Christian faith is, what it looks to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus. He wrote so many of those books. And in Galatians chapter 1, he uses the word apocalypse twice. One, to say that he had a revelation, because Paul was someone who was part of this beginning movement against the Christian faith, and then God met him and said, you need to be on my team, not the team that's trying to stop me. And he had a revelation of who Jesus was. And then he says later in that same text, he says, and I had an apocalypse in me. Ultimately, the idea was is that I had this idea that, that I wanted to make sure that what was revealed to me would become real for you so that you would benefit and that you would have an apocalypse, that you would have a vision. I really want you to have a vision. I don't want just me to have a vision. I want you to have a vision. And then he also says in Ephesians chapter 1, he uses the word apocalypse again, this Greek word apocalypse. And he says in this passage, I pray that God would give you this vision. I want to read Ephesians chapter 1 because this is kind of the setup that I want to have take place today. And I'm actually going to help paint a picture and maybe give you a, a little vision of what I think God's vision is. And maybe we'll have a little fun doing it. I don't know. I might get crazy. I might sing. I might rap. I might give you some type of vision. We're not going to leave here today without having a little bit of fun while we talk about how awful the world is. Ephesians chapter 1, listen to Paul as he has gone through a poem. And now he's summarizing in Ephesians chapter 1. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And so that you may know him better. A revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, apocalypse. I pray that your heart would have a vision. I'm praying that you would have an apocalypse in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, 
and his incomparable power, great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is your apocalypse. My friends, my, my, my family, my brothers, my sisters, my co-workers, the world that we live in, is out of joint. It's out of joint. It's not the way it should be. If the world was a puzzle and it was a galaxy and there's a thousand pieces, it's like we only have half of them and we don't know where they go. And the picture of God's creation is not being seen by those of us who are here. We're not experiencing the world as it should be. And there's something about when things go wrong, it strikes us at a human level where we go, this isn't right. And the reality is, is that evil is out of place in this world because it's not supposed to be here. Evil is not supposed to be here. The world is disjointed. Things are broken and blurry and frustrated painful, and in a sense, all of us are suffering. And it doesn't feel good because it was never intended to be here in the first place. A lot of people ask the question about evil as it relates to a personality or a power or a force of evil in the world, namely Satan or the devil, Lucifer. And a lot of people ask the question, is Satan real? Throughout the centuries, the idea of Satan just being an idea or being real has vacillated. It's gone back and forth. There have been many people that have thought he was real, a real person, a personality that is, you know, if you will, sitting in a heavenly dimension, pulling levers, pressing buttons, Dr. Evil, <laughs> whatever. And then there are some people that think that it's more of an idea, a force that moves, that's kind of webbed through the brokenness of humanity and causes crashes and brokenness everywhere as it kind of weaves its way throughout. It's gone back and forth. And my perception of this uh, idea and this reality that people kind of go back and forth believing he's real or he's an idea or he, it's a power and not a person I think it's, it's very circumstantial. I think it depends on the thinkers, the theologians of the time, and their perception of what is going on. Because I think when you get really close to bad things, you have different experiences. And there are times when you get really up close and personal to evil or to brokenness or death or sin, and something about it feels personal. Something about it feels tight, and it feels designed for you to destroy you or hurt you. 
And then sometimes I think people walk through the world and maybe it's more of a comfortable situation. And so we think about the idea of pain and we kind of sip in our French coffee houses and we ideate and we say it's just a power but it's not a person. Is Satan real? Like is he a real person? There's a man who wrote a book called Reviving Old Scratch because Old Scratch is a name for the devil. And it's a book about a man who didn't believe that Satan was real. He believed that evil was kind of a powerful force. He didn't believe it was real until he spent lots of time in a prison with people who were feeling a serious sense of death and brokenness and emptiness, and were there as a result of various pains and problems and uh, crimes committed. And once he spent time in the midst of people that felt like their world was riddled by pain, evil, sin, and darkness, he believed Satan was a person. Now the thing about Satan, and I believe he is in fact a person, is that what you'll find of him is he has all these different names. You may know the name, a person, a persona, a personality, a real being. He's called the father of lies. Uh, Jesus says that Satan or the enemy or the devil comes to steal, to kill, and destroy, but that I came that you may have life and you might have it abundantly. And when we look at Satan and his persona all throughout the scriptures, what we see is that he is essentially a counterfeit king. He's a counterfeit God. He's trying to spin the truth about God out in just enough of a way as to pull you away from worshiping God into worshiping him. The first picture of this is when Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden at the tree and they talk about the fruit. And the conversation goes like this. Oh, we're not supposed to touch it. You know, we're not even, we're not supposed to eat it. We're not even supposed to touch it. And he said, we'll die. And then the Satan, he says, you won't die. He knows that if you do that, you'll be like him. And he leans into their desire to be more because it's what he senses. So he passes on his desire to be more to people and he lures them in to his fallenness. As we looked at last week, this Satan is a counterfeit king. In the book of Revelation, the mark of the beast, 666, is a counterfeit king number. The mark of the king is 7777. Here's the king. Here's the reality. Here's the creator. Here's perfection. Here's completion. Here's the authority. Then comes the beast who shows up, calls himself a king, asks people to worship him, and instead of using 777, his slogan is 666. And it's not a slogan, it's just a commitment. We bow our knee to anyone but Jesus, and we have taken the mark of the beast. We give our hearts to anyone but the God of perfection, who is Jesus Christ, the Lord of lords, the lamb on a throne. Died, buried, and resurrected 2,000 years again. Can I get a get? Amen. We, we bow to anyone but that, and we have slipped into the counterfeit kingdom who's ruled by a guy named Satan who really wants to destroy us. Now, 
The word Satan is actually more specifically, it's the Satan, which is a Hebrewism that means, hang with me, the accuser. Satan means the accuser. This is what you see at the tree. As soon as it's all over, what do Adam and Eve do? They blame each other. They blame God. They accuse. Can I tell you right now that when I say that people in this world is ruled by Satan, and you go, oh, yeah, it is, I'm, and you start thinking of other people, Satan and the ruler of this world may be working in you more than you thought. When we live in a world that just sits around and accuses one another, it's someone else's fault. This is psychology. This is what we do when we get scared, when we get angry. You know what we do? We blame people. We, we've, we got we to know whose fault is it, who can I blame? When people get angry, who can I blame? Blame is accusing. All I see right now is a bunch of people accusing people. Well, it's their fault. Well, it's the Democrats. Well, it's the Repu I mean, just go down the list. It's everyone else's fault. The Satan, I believe, is sometimes believed to be a force of evil and power because his fingerprints of work and accusation are so prevailing among people that in ways all of us have taken on the Satan, the accuser. I need to start rapping. Here's the picture. The heavenly court. There's a picture in the Old Testament of a heavenly court. You see it in different passages of Scripture. Specifically, you might see it in the book of Job. There's a heavenly court. And in that court, there is this Satan, this accuser. The idea of the Satan is this, is that there's a heavenly court with a part prosecutor who is so good at his job at accusing, he likes to lure people in with temptation so he can do his job. So here's what the Satan does. Ooh, doesn't this look pretty? Doesn't this feel good? Don't you like this? Come and eat it. Come and touch it. Live your life for it. Follow it. Devote yourself for, to it. Give it to your heart. And then as soon as you do, see, you are the guilty party. And you live in shame. And he goes to God. And he says, do you see what they did? I tempted them. Think for a second about Jesus being tempted in the, in the, in the desert. What is he doing? This is all the power of the enemy going to the God of the universe in a desert and putting in front of him things. Do this. Eat this. Lift yourself up. Do these things. Please do these things because the accuser just wants to tell you that you're the problem. It's like a cabinet meeting where you've got Satan on one side and Jesus on the other. You know, you got, you got, you got Hamilton and Jefferson. You guys seen anybody watch it? You know the cabinet meetings? You know? This is the battle. If we assume the debts, the union gets a new diuretic, a free line of credit, how come you don't get it? If we're aggressive and competitive, the union gets a boost. You'd rather give it a sedative? I can go on and on. I know the whole thing. I'm very prideful about that. 
very, very proud of myself for knowing all of it. Very exciting. Thomas, that was a real nice declaration. Welcome to the present. We're running a real nation. They go at it. They go back and forth. They have a rap battle. The accuser. See what they did? See if I just give them a little taste of something that they like, how they just fall into it. They just get sucked into it. See how bad they are. See how much they rely on themselves. See how they just like to devour the sweet sugars of life. Sweet on the lips, destruction in the belly. That's not a commentary on eating simple sugars. Give me some candy. That's a commentary on us doing what's easiest. And then being accused If you and I were in the room where it happened, I think we would all go, wow, there's a powerful force here that's trying to rip my life apart. There's a powerful force here that's trying to rip our lives apart. I want to give you a vision. This is your apocalypse. You have someone who is committed their entire existence to accusing you and having you accuse them and having us against each other. The book of Revelation is about this. It's about God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, and a counterfeit kingdom, a dragon and two beasts, 666, that exists to pull people in to worshiping him with temptation, with lies, with destruction, with, with, with ultimately making you crumble, making you feel a sense of hopelessness. When we study the Satan and we look at the, the, the picture of the devil in the Bible, you don't actually see him that much in the Old Testament. But when Jesus shows up, You hear about demons and spiritual warfare and the devil, and it all starts to play out. And the picture really is that there's been this kind of heavenly courtroom, but then Jesus stepped out. And so the accuser steps out. He says, i got to meet you in the field. We're going to have this battle. So the temptations start to play out here amongst us, and you see these demon possessions, and they're calling out who Jesus is, and Jesus is showing his power over the the power of darkness in the world. But the picture of Jesus coming to earth and leaving that courtroom is a picture of him on the move of destroying the accuser. And that's what the book of Revelation is about. That's the picture you have to see. Because as as you have the accuser luring you in and destroying you, you have the Savior who's there defending you at every stop. You have a Savior who believes in you. You have a Satan who accuses you. You have a Jesus who loves you. You have a power of darkness that is being eclipsed by a power of light. His name is Jesus. You know that this can matter more than just your eternal relationship with God. You know that you can start to understand how God's love has permeated your space, has taken every accusation that could ever be made against you, good or bad, and muted it, erased it, covered it with the blood of the lamb, and washed it white as snow. And if you start to understand that he did that for you, you can do that to the people in the world that need it. 
We need a world who understands that the accusations of the enemy have been blotted out by the blood of the Lamb. When we know it, we show it. If you don't understand this apocalypse, if you don't get the vision of the room where this is happening, you're not going to bring it to the room where all this other crap is happening. Can I get a witness? Jesus says it. Now the enemy is revealing his ugly head. There's wild wickedness that's taking place in the world. There's demons speaking out on behalf of the accuser. Jesus has been tempted by the devil in the, de in the desert. And then Jesus knows he's going to the cross to ultimately defeat the powers of darkness and sin. And he gives us an insight into that. Look at John 12, 27 through 33. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. He's talking about his death. No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and was there and heard it and said, it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Do you see what the power is going on? It's almost like the, the, the answers from the courtroom are bursting forth. The enemy is saying, you losers, you lost. You're, you're, you're done. You're over. And the power of God is going, no, there's my son. You guys are winners. I'm going to glorify him, and I'm going to glorify this whole experience. We're going to be lifted up and changed and forgiven. And people went, whoa, what is going on? There's a thunder in heaven that's coming down to earth. Jesus said this voice was for your benefit. That's his way of saying, I already knew. I already know. I know what's going on. I know. This is an apocalypse. You're getting a vision. You get to see. This was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for the judgment on this world to make the world right. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. That's the accuser. The prince of this world, that's the Satan. The enemy. He's going to be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, when I am crucified, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. We need a spiritual apocalypse. You need to see the heavenly room. You need to understand the technicalities of your faith and your salvation. You need to start to see what's actually happening in the world. Do you understand the book of Revelation is, here's what's going on in the world. It's out of joint. It was never supposed to be this way. Guys, the world is not supposed to be the way it is. This week, our church lost a father of two children, husband of a wonderful wife named Kristen Josh Ballinger, died suddenly on Tuesday of a car wreck on 161. We had the first funeral in this new building exists right here, right here. We had the reception right out in the hallway. He was driving down the street, no skid marks, and he died. He just, he just hit a pole. He died on Tuesday. His daughter's ninth birthday was on Wednesday. They live in eight-tenths of a mile from our house. They're crushed. 
The world is out of joint. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. This is not the way it's supposed to happen. We need to sober up and understand that we have a God who's doing big work on our behalf. And that our faith is the difference between understanding and bringing who he is into the world that is so hurting. We have to increase our faith. You know how we increase our faith? We have a clearer vision. We need an apocalypse. We got to see it. Jesus has triumphed over our sin and evil by dying for them in our place. Do you understand that the accuser comes and says, you're the problem. You did it. And Jesus says, no, blame it on me. I'll take it. I'll take the blame. And he triumphs over darkness by substituting himself for us. His resurrection, his death, his resurrection, his, his triumph is a victory over evil. It's a victory over car wrecks. It's a victory over racism. It's a victory over any type of hate. It's a big, fat victory. That's what it means. We have a sin-forgiving, darkness-driving out, and a new kingdom that is here, and one day will be here in its fullness. One day, the kingdom will be here in its fullness. One day, the accuser will be quieted forever. One day, the king will rule with his people. He will draw all of us to himself and we will worship him. Revelation 21, verses one through five says this. Then I saw, this is, this is the best apocalypse you could have, a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride and beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling is among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words, these words are trustworthy and true.
Father, you have given us such a wonderful picture of who you are. God, I pray if anybody in here has a spirit of accusation, Father, that you would just give them the peace, give them the grace, remove it from their spirit. Father, I pray if there's anybody in here who just feels like they've done something that they just, they can't be forgiven of. I pray, God, in the name of Jesus, you would speak to them and tell them that they are your child, that you forgive them, that you love them. That no person is as bad as the worst thing they've ever done. That no one is beyond the point of love and forgiveness. That that's the enemy. And I pray that soft spirit, your spirit, would turn them to you. Just move them to you. Father, I lift up this world that is full of accusation and the blame game and hate. God, we, we need something to happen inside that we can't articulate on a post. We need something big to happen in our hearts. Please, God, start to do it in this room, do it through us. God, give us a better attitude. Give us a better disposition. Give us a heart like yours. Move in us. Move in this space. Thank you for letting us gather in the name of Jesus. We love you very, very much in your name. Amen. A lot of you guys don't, maybe don't have kids because if you did, you couldn't be here. Maybe you split the, the parenting duty and one of you are here and one of you are at home. But a lot of people are engaged with us online every Sunday. And we're excited for you guys who have kids and for all of them who have kids to engage fully in our kids camp that's coming up. And we're excited about it. Check out this video. <laughs> 